The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. get into the word this morning. Now I got to tell you, if you ever just had a day where you you've maybe just felt a little off, not bad, like it's not bad, it's not like you don't feel good or something like that, you maybe just feel a little off. And I got to tell you, I'm having kind of one of those days. Now we had some work activities and some things like that that would have made, a, I call them curveballs, right? You ever had a curveball thrown your way? You're expecting something to go this way and it goes that way. Well, when you have to adjust to some of those things, it can throw off your timing or your, your schedule or your expectations, things like that, and it can make for a day to be a bit off. So uh, I got to warn you, I'm feeling a little bit off, but what I've noticed sometimes is God knows how to hit a curveball. He's pretty good at it, right? And so I think sometimes things can be thrown off just to remind us who's actually captaining the ship. And I've seen that personally in my own life. I've seen some of the most incredible things take place uh, when it was least expected or or maybe made the least amount of sense. And I know that God loves to, to remind us that he's very much involved in our lives, especially as it concerns uh, ministry and the things of the kingdom. So uh, I want to get into the word this morning, and I'm expecting you know, God to, to lead us and guide us in a way to hit that curveball. I want to talk about something that we started talking about yesterday in the men's group. Now, that's happened before, and, and it's created you know series of teachings and things like that. And I got to say, I have no issue with that. I think that when things begin to, to stir in your heart and in your mind, <clears throat> they should continue to, to thrive and grow and, and things should expand. And when we finish our men's meeting, sometimes what we started on just kind of sits in my head and in my heart. And I, uh, I do ask myself, because I don't want it to be lazy, but should this carry over to Sunday? And after yesterday's meeting, I thought, yeah, I really think it should. Uh, we had a great meeting. I'll give you a little bit of a, a summary of it, and then we'll jump into the word for us as a group this morning. Now, one of the things you have to be careful about is that you don't, you know, re-preach what was discussed. And sometimes you can't help but lay a foundation, so some things may sound familiar to some of the guys that were present. But we talked about the truth. We talked about telling the truth. It was inspired by a situation that, that I experienced over the past week where an individual sat down and was not telling the truth, and, and it, it created a scenario that was a bit awkward to deal with. Uh, and, and in this situation, the individual had made some choices and decisions that were obviously compromised, had done things that no one in this room would, would think, well, maybe you ought to look from their perspective. Or, I mean, it was pretty black and white, and they had done things that were very unrighteous, and, and, and they were untruthful about it. They lied about it. And when it became obvious that the, the truth had been revealed and, and it was time to come clean, the individual, you know, made their confession and, and it created a, a situation that was uh, potentially teachable. Time will tell on that. That's entirely up to the other person. But it, it provoked some thoughts in me. It, it made me think, how often am I in this position as it concerns you know, my relationship with God? How often am I in the position where things are being misrepresented or maybe half-truths are being told, which, by the way, a half-truth presented as a whole truth is an absolute lie? I mean, like, you, you can't just throw a little bit of... My wife is looking at me really weird right now. Let's pray, shall we? I'm just messing around. 
But we have these things in our lives. And what's, what was really interesting was when it was kind of presented to the men's group and as it began to, to move in conversation, that's one of the things I love the most about that group is it's not, you know, one more time for Pastor Preston to flex his preaching muscles. It's, it's an opportunity for these men to come together and discuss things and talk. There's a lot of conversation, and, and it's really fantastic. Uh, for, for such a small body, there are some really uh, uh, powerful uh, minds and hearts in the men of Champions Church, and I hope that, that more of those uh, uh, individuals will step up and, and we'll see more voices on even Sunday morning. Uh, and by the way, that reminds me, I want to thank Pastor Jared for speaking last week. A wonderful uh, time here in the scripture, and then obviously uh, we just all love Jared, can't get enough of him. So uh, he's on the list of those uh, wonderful minds and hearts that I hope we hear more from. Uh, but uh, as we were discussing things yesterday, it became obvious that this is something that everyone has as a part of their life, whether they deal with it or whether it's something that, that they uh, have, that they're addressing in their own being, so to speak. And truth is an interesting thing to talk about. It, it's one of the things that I think everybody has an idea of what it is, but yet God's gone to great lengths to reveal to us in the scripture uh, much about truth, the concept of truth, and, and why it's such a priority for us. And I think if we're not careful, we'll let the culture define to us what the kingdom has gone to great lengths to reveal to us. And I would rather have the kingdom's revelation than the culture's definition any day. And so I want to get into the word today. I want to talk about truth. Here's a few things that we're going to find as we jump into the scripture. And I'll give them to you, just things to look forward to. Uh, uh, one, one is going to be what we need to know, you know. Uh, if you have a, a little bit of, of Bible knowledge under your belt, you can probably make some guesses where we're going to go with that, and, and uh, that's, you're probably going to be spot on. Uh, another thing that we're going to find is uh, what God's grace impacts. Now, that's a bit of an opinion, and I, I have no problem presenting it as an opinion, but I'd like for you to look forward to that, because when we get to that area in the scripture, I think that's a place of evaluation. You know, Paul tells us to examine ourselves, and I think it's really good when we see things in the scripture that are promised to us to begin to evaluate our life and ask, hey, is that a part of my life? And if not, what needs to be done for that to become a part of my life? Uh, because I want, if, if God sent Jesus to the cross to die for it, called him out of the grave to provide it, and, and lifted him into the heavens so that it could be bestowed upon my life, if God went to those links to give me something, I want it. And I want it for you too. Uh, so something that God's grace is meant to have an effect on, when we get there, you'll know it. And then another thing is how to tell the truth. Now, I wrote it that way on purpose, not because I like a little bit of wordplay, but I mean that two ways, like how to identify the truth, right? And then how to tell the truth, like literally how to like not tell a lie, how to speak it. And I think it's really important to, to evaluate these scriptures from both of those perspectives how to tell the truth. Uh, so as we get into the word here, I want to start, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of John chapter 8. The Gospel of John chapter 8, I want to begin uh, uh, here in verse uh, 31. We're going to look at verse 31 and 32. But as you turn there, I want to set the table. Now, we've said this before in, in attached with other messages, but I think it's really worth noting Oftentimes when we're reading the scripture, it's really important to evaluate the, the context and to understand 
you know, who's talking, who they're talking to, why they're saying it. No matter what, it's important to understand that all Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit for your good. The Bible uses the word edification. I mean, we really don't use that word every day. But uh, here in about an hour or so, lunch is going to provide edification in my life. It's going to make things better, right? So when the scripture comes into our life, it's meant to bring education, inspiration, encouragement. It's more than just getting smarter. It's getting better in every aspect of your being. So the fact that God is bringing the word into our lives for, for this purpose, to edify us, to make us better, uh, brings us to the place where expectation should rise every time we look in the scripture. But in addition to that truth, I want you to see the context of this. I want you to see that Jesus is talking to Christians. So uh, we'll, we'll see it here in a second. I'll, I'll point it out. You won't be able to miss it in the end. But John chapter 8 uh, beginning in verse 31, it says this, so Jesus was saying to the Jews that had believed in him, okay, that's where I want to stop right there. I mean, don't be distracted by the idea that these individuals are Jewish. The reality is they're believers, right? So Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter at this point. Now you have what the scripture would identify as the one new man, I mean, the Christian, the believer. And, and so I realize now these are my people, this group of people that Jesus is talking to, these Jews that believe in him, that we're in the same camp. And that now makes what Jesus is about to say to them carry over to apply to me 100%. There's no, well, culturally he's talking, no. He's talking to people that are believers, therefore he's talking to me. And when you take on that mentality, it, it brings the words a little closer to home. You realize now this is something that I need to really pay attention to. If Jesus has gone out of his way to say this to the specific demographic, the people who are identified as the believers, and by the way, that could have easily been left out of the scripture, but God put it in there. It's in there on purpose. We ought to pay close attention to that and realize that as Jesus is saying these words to believers, he's saying these words to me, and I really want to listen closely. So we'll get back to the scripture here, John 8, 31. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you're truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So there's a whole lot of things that I have to stop here in process because there's, there's, there's a number of, of, you know, learned behaviors as a Christian or, or maybe uh, ideas or man-made doctrines that, that this statement just brings crashing to the ground. I mean, I understand that as a, a believer, when I became a, a Christian, my Christianity is absolute. I don't become like a stronger Christian or a better Christian. I mean, a Christian is a Christian, period. Kind of like a light switch, off or on, right? Live or dead. My spirit man was dead, now my spirit man is alive. It's a really wonderful thing to consider. But in addition to that, which is absolutely true, and I'm not going to take away anything from that, the idea of growth and maturity is very much a part of the scripture. When I became a Christian, God identifies that as birth, being born again, right? I mean, my wife is 5'2". Could you imagine her giving birth to full-grown men? Don't even imagine it. Stop. I shouldn't have said that. It's weird, isn't it? Right. I mean, the, some things they, they do, they start in a state that's an infant state, and then they grow and develop 
because that growth and that development is, is a process that is necessary for the effect to, to be uh, uh, powerful and, and real and genuine. If you were to take my children and have no life experience, no, no social development, but then just toss them into the world and require of them the things that only life experience and development provide, it would be a disaster. But yet, as believers and Christians, we have all the authority that we'll ever have, all the power that we'll ever have, all of the identity that we'll ever have, but yet God understands that we're going to have to learn how to walk in that. It's a wonderful display of his grace and his compassion. It's a wonderful display of his patience. Anyone who's ever raised children understands that it takes a lot of patience. So you see these things in the scripture, and I think they stand out to us as important. When we see this passage of scripture, I see Jesus talking to a group of believers, and he, first of all, says, if you continue in my word, then you'll be disciples of mine. Well, I mean, that's a really interesting thing to consider. I mean, when I became a Christian, obviously, I, I step into the world of, of Christianity. I, I, I am uh, purchased by the blood of Jesus. I am, am walking in, in a, uh, a whole new light in the sense that old things pass away, new things come. I'm, I'm giving you elements of the scripture. Uh, literally, the scripture says new creature or new creation, right? But then Jesus talks about the idea of continuing, of it not stopping there, but rather that being a starting place. Well, birth is a starting place. I look at my 13-year-old sons today, and I could just weep to consider how I used to hold them between my middle finger and my thumb. And, and, and I would, those days are gone. Those days will never come back again because they've grown past them. That was a starting place, and now they're in the place where they're at. So Jesus is talking to us. He's talking to believers, and he's talking about the idea of continuing. This is advancing from the place of, of beginning, but to move on and to advance from that point. So we're born again. Now we continue, and we continue in what? Well, his word. And then he reveals the wonderful reward for this continuation, this continuation of our lives in his word. And it says that this is, is truly a revelation uh, or, or a revealing of our discipleship, that we are being led and, and, and taught and, and counseled by him himself. And, and then, as if that weren't enough now, he reveals the result of that, what that will bring, and that's really the point that we need to get to. And if we take too long getting there, uh, we could actually, you know, miss the bus, so to speak. And this is where we need to get. You continue in his word, your, your discipleship in him is revealed, and the result is knowing the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, so the end goal here is, is this freedom, this, this uh, absence of, of slavery or captivity or bondage of any kind, that, that freedom that is, is the result of all the work that God would bring into our lives through Jesus. We see this coming through this uh, uh, knowledge of what is true that is the result of continuing in his word and being his disciple. I have to ask myself, what does that mean? That sounds really important to me. I mean, I remember the day I was born again. I, I remember the, the sensations and the feelings that I had physically and, and mentally and emotionally. And it was a really powerful thing to, to confess my frailty and, 
and to acknowledge my rebellion and to, to embrace God's love and his affection and his acceptance of me in that state and then to feel his response, to, to feel the affection and the love and the acceptance, to have all of the anxiety and the fear be required to bow down to the truth that, that my maker would redeem my life and not just redeem my life, but then begin to empower my life and enrich my life. It was absolutely overwhelming. And that's where we start. So to think about continuing now. Continuing in the work of Jesus Christ. Continuing to grow and mature in the things of God. Continuing to, to be discipled by Jesus. To continue to come into that knowledge of truth. And that knowledge of truth continuing to reveal and establish freedom in and through my life is absolutely exciting to me. So when I see a passage of scripture like this, I want to pause. And I want to ask, what, what does that mean? I don't want to just read past it casually. Well, let me give you a couple of, of thoughts from the scripture in order to establish why this works. I, that's, that's one of the things I think is really important. When we see how something works, it, it removes the, the, the doubt or the fear or the anxiety that maybe it won't work at all. But we can understand, I see exactly why that would be the effect. Why would knowing the truth... Equal freedom. Why would knowing the truth reveal to the world that I'm following Jesus? Well, I'll give you a passage of scripture to answer that. Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6, Jesus reveals something really important to us. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. So by itself, that passage of scripture can simply sound poetic. It can, it can sound like Jesus revealing who he is for the sake of encouraging those around him. It could even be sound uh, or, or perceived as, as Jesus uh, revealing to those around him that, uh, that they've made the right choice or something along those lines. But, but for us, we need to realize Jesus isn't boasting in any way, shape, or form, but rather he's teaching He's telling us that he is, in our case for today's message, the truth. That the truth isn't necessarily a thing, but rather it is a person. That Jesus himself is the truth. Confirmed by the rest of the scripture that his name would be the word of God from the book of Revelation. You'll see more and more in the scripture that begins to make sense that Jesus is in bodily form truth. And so it would make sense to me that the more that I get to know the truth, the more that I walk in freedom. Because the more that I get to know the truth could also be stated as the more that I get to know Jesus. It's interchangeable. You could literally go throughout the New Testament and scratch out the word truth and just write Jesus, and it might enrich our understanding of what's being spoken. I mean, imagine that passage of scripture that we just read about knowing the truth and the truth making us free. Let's just perform that little exercise. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you're truly disciples of mine. You will know Jesus and Jesus will make you free. Nice. Now we deal with something and this is kind of what came up in the men's meeting, you know, I mean, 
In the situation that I faced, there was an individual who had cut work to hit the bar, and, and then he visited his drug dealer and made a drug deal. and all. I mean, that's pretty nasty business, right? I mean, it's kind of stuff that we would just say is absolute nonsense, can't even come close to justifying it. It's just total garbage, right? Well, I sat down with this guy, and, and once it was obvious that the jig was up and he was busted, in our conversation, we began to... to talk and I made a statement to him and when the statement was made I thought you know there's something really important there when he finally came clean I just said well uh, I want to tell you I appreciate you being honest with me but I don't just want you to be honest I want to be able to trust you honesty doesn't equal trust trust being a manifestation of truth I I want to be able to trust you and honesty doesn't bring that. Now, I think truth and honesty have become so interchangeable in our culture that honesty now is how we define and identify truth. But I think if we stop and we consider the, the kingdom's definition of truth instead of the culture's definition of truth, we'll see a massive difference. I mean, he was honest with me, and he revealed to me what he did. Well, obviously, that was after being busted, so I'm not sure how much that counts. But let's just say that he has a, a massive revelation and shift in his life, and he decides to be honest with me every day. And every day, he says, hey, I snorted Coke this morning. Or every day, he says, hey, I hit the bottle this morning. Or every day, he says, hey, I looked at this this morning. Or every day, he says, would you trust that person? but they're so honest. Honesty doesn't equate to trust. Trust being, again, that manifestation or that result of truth. And, and it causes me to pause and ask myself, how much of my life has been affected by cross-pollinating these definitions and beginning to value honesty in place of truth? And, and so when we come to the place where we see the scripture that who God is and what God values and what God's bringing into our life so far transcends honesty but leads us into truth, begins to, to reveal to me the, the work that God's doing in and through my life by the Holy Spirit to transcend the culture, step into the kingdom, not to abandon honesty but to see honesty for what it is and begin to embrace truth. And devote my life to the manifestation of truth. I want to, to give you a couple of passages of scripture here as we continue to move forward. And I, I think it's important uh, to note these things. I mean, one, truth is, is constantly under attack. I mean, I think there's a reason why culturally we begin to embrace honesty in place of truth. And, and we'll, we'll continue to talk about that if it's not quite making sense. By the time we're done, hopefully we're hitting the mark here. But there's a reason for this bait and switch. And I think this bait and switch is taking place because if you can distract believers from the importance and the value of truth, if you can cause them to be content with honesty, then we'll miss out on so many of the wonderful effects of truth. Now, that might be said in a bit of a, a puzzling way, but the point is, is that truth brings great things into your life. And if I can cause you to focus on things like honesty and not focus on things like truth, I can prevent you from the great things that God's bringing into your life. That's the strategy of your enemy. Let me give you a passage of scripture of what truth brings into your life. Jesus prays for you in the Gospel of John chapter 17. Now, John 17 is, is known as the high priestly prayer. You, 
It's probably a statement that I've made more in this congregation than any other single statement. If you are ever feeling low, go to John 17 and just read Jesus' prayer for you. I understand that we talk about the Lord's Prayer, you know, and we can recite our Father who are... You want the real Lord's Prayer, go read John 17. That's Jesus Christ praying to God the Father on your behalf. And in this prayer, one of the things that he prays, one of the things that he asks God for and prays God, his answer is yes, is the following. John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus asks the Father to sanctify your life in truth. And then he begins to define that as the word of God. So verbatim, he says, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. I mean, truth is so important that in the the single recorded prayer that Jesus prays to the Father on my behalf, truth makes it. There's other things that make it. That as you read John chapter 17, you should highlight words, circle words. They should mean something to you. That in this one recorded prayer that Jesus prays to the Father on my behalf, he's asking God for truth to be a part of my life. He asks for joy to be a part of your life. That'll tell you how important joy is too. It's a wonderful prayer to read. It's a wonderful thing to understand. And to to go further than that and not just think of Jesus as kind of a BFF but to realize that Jesus has emptied himself of all divine privilege, that he's walked in this world as a man, according to the word, tempted by every, will you say every? Every, meaning non-excluded temptation. Meaning that, that he, there's no point of my life that he can't relate to. I mean, let that sink in. It'll blow your mind. And that as he's praying to the Father, he's asking for these things specifically. This isn't just some random thing that sounds poetic and pious. Rather, this is him saying, hey, I've been here. I've seen what it's like. Here's what they're going to need. Make sure they have joy. And make sure that they have truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Oh man, all of a sudden this passage of scripture lifts off the page and becomes to have tremendous value in my life. Father, what is truth? What is sanctification? And please don't let one moment of my life be without those things. I need it. To sanctify by definition means, uh, you know, to, to set apart. This is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. If you take truth out of my life, I'm no different than anyone else on this planet. I mean, dare I say the following? If you disagree with this statement, I'll inform you as to why I'm willing to say it. I might be wrong, but if you take truth out of my life, I'm not a Christian. It's what sets me apart. It's what makes me different. It's what makes old things pass away, new things come. It's what brings the new creature into existence onto this earth. It's what introduces out of darkness this light that is the greatest threat to hell since the resurrection itself. Truth. I mean, it begins to impact me in in ways that I want to share with you. I mean, this idea that truth brings this into our life should invade our prayer life. I mean, Father, let truth prevail in my life today. Let it overwhelm any thoughts that would be outside of truth. Let truth be at the forefront. Let truth be in my mouth. Let truth be in my heart. Let truth sanctify me today. What a great thing to pray. Let truth set me apart. 
And, and when you begin to see that, you can understand why your enemy would attempt to distract you from truth. Hey, look over here. You don't want that. You don't need that. Look over here. That's everything that makes us who God's called us to be. Truth. Truth opens up this wonderful door for great things to happen. And I, I want to give you a passage of scripture. I told you before we'd find what God's grace has an impact on. Uh, I, I want to give you a passage of scripture here uh, from the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter uh, 1, chapter 13. It talks about your mind. And it talks about having these, these clear thoughts, these sober thoughts, these thoughts that aren't intoxicated. I mean, think about what is the opposite of sobriety? It's intoxication. What is intoxication but the state of being poisoned? Toxic. Intoxicated. And if our mind is free from the poison of this world and we're walking in clarity and sobriety in truth, something great takes place. This passage of scripture instructs us to, to be clear, be sober in our thought. And the result of that being hope to the very end for the grace of God that is brought into your life at the revelation of Jesus. I love that the revelation of Jesus. It means the moment you became a Christian, all of these things were yours to focus on. These sober thoughts. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture. These are just a few, by the way. I mean, you can go throughout the Word and find so many. But in my life experience, whether that's in the marketplace or whether that's in the church, I see the same things over and over and over. People will feel as if they've been victimized by the things of the world, and that's toxic thinking. It's not sober. I mean, one toxic thought is to think that you don't have any control over temptation and, and falling into sin and bondage and corruption. That's a poison thought. Here's a sober thought for you, 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a, a passage of Scripture that you can claim as clear thinking from the very moment you become a Christian, and it reads like this. No temptation has overtaken you but that which is common to man. And God is faithful, and he will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to endure. And in every temptation, God will provide a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. How interesting is that? It's a real sober thought. That at no time am I just washed away by sin, washed away by corruption. I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a say I didn't have any route to victory, but rather this passage of Scripture promises everything that Jesus says he is when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This passage of Scripture reveals to us as believers in every waking moment of your life, you have access to the way. In every temptation, a way to escape is provided so that we'll be able to endure that's a sober thought. It's a, it's a thought that is the result of truth. Anything less than that is a lie. But when the truth enters into our life, there's this understanding that God is aware of our needs, that he's very present through those needs, and that in those needs, he's active. That's a, a, a true perspective. It's the power of the truth at work in our thinking. Uh, another one is to... to to feel empowered. I mean, I've been in circumstances or situations where I begin to sink into hopelessness or depression because I felt impotent or, or without power to do anything. And that's a toxic way of looking at life. 
Because the truth is God's empowered my life. He's empowered me with the authority of the name of Jesus. He's empowered me with the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost. The same power that formed the planets that we look up in the night sky and see is in and active in my life. Luke 10, 19, Jesus would speak directly to this idea and, and it's bringing truth into my life and your life. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy. How much is all? <laughs> it's absolute, isn't it? You can let that three-letter word sink in and that's the truth. Jesus Christ brings authority for me to have victory over all of darkness. All of it. I've stepped foot into other countries in the mission field and, and have seen the, the black magic and the voodoo and all of these things. And I promise you, I've stood on that verse. I remember landing in a certain country and that specific night, having an experience in my sleep. You can't call it a dream. It wasn't a dream. And in that experience... Uh, there was an encounter with a very frightening in appearance figure. And I, I have never really felt like a big guy a day in my life because my father is 6'4 and a very big man. But I've heard rumors that I'm not small. And, and as I was in this event, you know, that most would call a dream, this individual stood over me. I was eye level with their chest and they began to look down upon me and in a language that I did not know began to utter things that I knew were vile. And even though I didn't speak the language, I understood every word he said. I won't share with you the words because it would be highly inappropriate. And, and in the midst of his cursing, in the midst of his slander, in the midst of his, his physical dominance and threatening, I, I stood... And I really can't explain why. It wasn't like there was some kind of a, you know, a voice from heaven that said, my son, victory belongs to Jesus. There was nothing like that. But as he began to spit out these poisonous words in this encounter, I reached up and I grabbed his throat and I began to squeeze. And he began to, to you know, utter them louder and harder and, and scream and shout. And I reached up with the other hand then and I had him, you know, in this two-handed chokehold and just began to squeeze and he began to scream and shout, and then it was over. It was gone. And I would say I woke up, but it was more like I came to. It was really a bizarre thing. And, and if it's weird to you, come talk to me, because I'm not trying to be weird. I'm sure not trying to glamorize something. I'm just telling you what I experienced. When I came to, there was such a wonderful anointing in the room. Now, that's a vocabulary word that doesn't always translate. We have kind of a Christianese. But if you've ever been in a worship service or something where you really kind of felt like, wow, I feel like there's something in the atmosphere here. It was so heavy in the room. It sounded like a top three list in my life. Not number one. I remember number one very clearly. But let's give it a top three status where I, I, I came to and there was such an awareness of God's presence in that room. I got up and I began to worship and give thanks. I paced around the room. Father, I thank you. I know that you've called me to this place to do something for your kingdom. Let it be revealed. Let it be carried out for your glory. I, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the anointing. I thank you for your victory. I just began to pace around the room and offer that prayer. And I praise God for a sober mind that in the face of this threat, in the face of this, this cursing, this slander, in the face of this, this malicious evil that would promise to afflict me, I would have a sober mind. That I would have 
the, the, the power of truth in my life to know that, no, I've been given everything I need to overpower all the powers of darkness, including you, big boy. I had a conversation with the men that were hosting me for the meetings that we were there to perform. And I shared that with him. I said, hey, listen, you might find this weird, but I want to tell you what happened last night. He said, oh, I don't think that's weird at all. He began to tell me some of his own stories, and, and it, it was very relevant to the, the dark activities in that region, in that culture. But to be sober of mind, to, to, to be equipped with the truth, is to be equipped with the things that we need for the things that God's called us to do, that victory. I want to give you another one here as we, we begin to, to wrap up. First John Chapter 4, verse 4. Now, this one is kind of an absolute, and I love absolutes because, you know, sometimes strategic things are really fun because they apply with such clarity that they inspire tremendous faith, you know. Like if you have a fear of speaking in public, but then the Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture tells you, don't worry about what you're going to say, but it'll be the Holy Spirit that speaks in that time. Well, that's pretty specific, right? It's to public speaking. And so those specific ones are really fun because we can apply them to... to to really targeted areas in our life. But then you just kind of need the A-bomb, right? Like the, hey, this is the carpet bombing of the kingdom of God right here that's just going to cover it all. Keep this one in your back pocket. And if you're struggling to find that specific passage of Scripture to stand on in truth, then just yank this one out. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are from God. You could just stop right there. That should be enough in and of itself. But let's continue. You are from God and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater in every way. You want to talk power? He's greater. You want to talk uh, finance? He's greater. You want to talk uh, uh, any aspect of, of living in any way, shape, or form? God is greater. No matter what. Greater than anything we face, anything we deal with? Greater. That's the one that you can always pull out. That's literally the trump card, so to speak. And these are the things that are true, that can protect us from, from falling into thinking that's just not right. Keep us in a path of making good choices and decisions. I mentioned to you before, we're going to find out how to tell the truth. And I'm, I said that kind of two ways, as in how to identify and how to actually speak it. I, I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture here. And this is really where we, we close. Because I think it's one thing to be kind of like intrigued by something. And it's another thing to be a, equipped. And, and I want this to be an equipping. Uh, more than just kind of a, wow, that was interesting. But wow, I feel different. I feel like I'm going to live my life differently. I feel like I'm going to listen differently. I feel like I'm going to speak differently. I want to be different when the word of God enters into my life. And I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture here on how to tell the truth. And it starts with the gospel of John chapter 8. I want to look at verse 44. Now it's Jesus that's speaking here. And as Jesus is speaking, he's, he begins to talk about Satan. He talks about the devil. And, and he says this about Satan. He says, Satan does not stand in the truth. Okay, now remember, we're talking about the truth. So there's your, your point of reference for why this applies to what we're talking about. Satan does not stand in the truth. And now he gives the reason why. Because there's no truth in him. And whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie from his own nature. 
for he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, now, this passage of Scripture by itself could, could be an entire sermon or message. You could begin to break it down and realize why lying in, in the absence of the truth is such a, a, a strategy of our enemy because to partake in, in lying is to partake in the work of the devil himself. I mean, you can see why this is, is such a, a prevalent issue in our culture. But then I want us to notice something specific here that Jesus says. He says, when he speaks a lie... He speaks from his own nature. That's the part that I kind of have underlined here. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Now, there's a really funny thing here that you might just take note of in your Bible, and it can help sometimes uh, to understand why things are the way they are. I, I don't know if you're looking at an actual paper Bible in front of you, but you'll notice if you are that the word nature might be italicized, right? And if you see that, then it, it means something. And it doesn't mean like, hey, you should really focus on this word. What it actually means is that word doesn't exist in the text. But it was added so that it would help with understanding. And sometimes it really does. Other times it just gets in the way. But it's good to know why that word would be italicized. So let's just take that italicized word that wasn't in the original text and let's drop it. So here's really what it, it says. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own. Now let's, let's contrast that with the passage of Scripture. Uh, the opposite of the father of lies would be revealed to us in John chapter 16, verse 13. John 16, 13 reads like this. But when he, the spirit of truth, it's talking about the Holy Ghost, the very spirit of God. When he, the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth. Now remember, we play with English a little bit, right? Like the word for and the word because are interchangeable, right? You are ready for me to finish preaching because you are hungry. You are ready for me to finish preaching for you are hungry. One just sounds a little more like formal, like it should be on like BBC, you know, a, a period piece, a little pride and prejudice for you, right? I'm ready for church to end, for he's been going on for quite some time, you know. But because and for are interchangeable. But I want to use because here mainly because it's, it's more in our vocabulary. So when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth because he won't speak from his own. You see the difference between the father of lies and the spirit of truth? The father of lies, when he speaks, always speaks a lie because he speaks from his own. The spirit of truth who will lead you into all truth will do so because he does not speak from his own. And it goes on to say he speaks whatever he hears. Whatever he hears from who? God the Father. That's what he'll speak. That's what he'll disclose to you. Now, as I live out my life, if I want to identify what's truth and what's a lie, all I need to do in order to tell the truth is ask this, did God say that? If God said it, it's true. If he didn't, it's not. Interesting, isn't it? How do I tell the truth? Like, I mean, physically speak it with my mouth. Don't speak from my own but rather speak the words of God. Let me tell you something. When that guy sat across from me and admitted that he hit the bar, that he met his drug dealer, that he took a line of coke, and then he went back to work, if I were to speak from my own, it wouldn't sound very pleasant. But I wanted to pause for a moment and not speak from my own, 
But I want to speak from His. His who sees outside of what's right in front of us, who's free from the burden of being myopic in any way, shape, or form. I wanted to speak from His who loves this man more than I could ever love this man. Who knows everything that's brought him to this point. All the hurt, all the wound, all the rejection, all of the learned behaviors and the examples. This guy might be a saint when you consider all the things he's been put through in his life. How in the world could I know those things? But God does. I want to speak from his nature into this situation and not my own. My own only knows the effects on me. Don't you know that could have cost my reputation? Don't you know that could have cost our company? Don't you know that could have cost me? Don't you know? Me, 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 me. And I've been called and equipped to something much stronger than me. Him, 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 him. I want to speak from the very nature of God the Father who knows so much more than I know, who loves with, with, with unconditional love, And if I can speak his words, I can speak the truth. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I think that we're at a crossroads culturally where people will be in separate camps, not because I desire that in any way. I just think it's going to become more clear and more decisive, divisive excuse me, than ever. Truth and lie, truth and lie, truth and lie. I don't think there's ever been a time that's been more important for the believer to be able to tell the truth. And I don't just mean speak it, I mean tell it, as in identify it. And, and if we can take that one simple act and ask that question, did God say that? And begin to evaluate our, our, uh, our thoughts and our, our decisions and our choices based around whether or not God said something. We can open up the door to live out our lives according to the truth. Meaning walking in that discipleship of the one who is the truth, Jesus Christ. And then celebrating and enjoying that freedom. Let me tell you something that just really floats my boat and gets me excited. I think evangelism is supposed to be the easiest thing on earth. I don't know why we've complicated this so much, but I, I, I want evangelism to be the most natural result of my life where people see the freedom and the blessing and all of the wonderful manifest promises of God in and through my life and they stop and ask, how can I get in on that? I'm tired of talking people into Christianity. I just want to live a life in the truth that manifests freedom at a level that people are drawn to. And honestly, I believe that's the call upon our lives collectively. And if we were just to take that one simple discipline and just say, you know what, I'm going to start doing that. When I'm faced with choices and decisions, I'm going to just stop and ask that simple question. What does God say? And then I'm going to do that. What kind of wonderful doors does that open? If we could begin to tell and identify the truth then embrace it and celebrate the freedom that results. I want to pray for us this morning. I'm going to trust and believe that the Holy Spirit's at work in our hearts and in our minds to inspire us and to grow us and to raise us in the way that we should go. I want to pray just trusting and knowing that there's no more powerful minister in the room than the Holy Spirit himself. You can be in a state of receiving or agreement. I want to pray now and trust and believe God for a great work in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for the word. 
the word of truth that brings sanctification into our lives. Let us begin to long for that sanctification. Give us a glimpse of that. Show us in visions and in dreams and your spoken word into our lives. The the wonder, the protection, and the setting apart, the the great things that you're doing as you raise us into the, the, the wonderful children that you've adopted us and brought us into being. Called by your name, equipped with your spirit, and granted the authority and the headship of our righteous King Jesus. Let that sanctification inspire us to celebrate your truth in every aspect of our living. Let new appetites be formed in us to pursue your word, to embrace your word, to expose our lives to your word. And and let the resulting truth be celebrated in in powerful results that are manifest in in freedom and liberty. Let these newfound convictions not be seen as burdens. But let it be seen and embraced as a liberation from the shackles of this culture into the freedom of your kingdom. We give you thanks for truth. And we ask that truth prevail in our hearts and in our minds as we live out our lives sanctified from the corruption of this world. We rejoice in freedom. And we long for your name to be glorified as your goodness and your faithfulness is manifest in and through our lives. We bless your name and we thank you for the truth. In the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.